So we continue in our sermon series, uh, Living Out Our Legacy. And so let me share with you all, and let's just start with the scripture lesson. So I actually have one from the Old Testament, a couple from the New Testament. This, um, this is what we call in the, uh, Genesis 12. This is the call of, um, of Father Abraham. Now the Lord said, Abraham, uh, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you, I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From also from the book of Acts, we find these great words that uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Hear these words, this is the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, it is the time when you shall restore the kingdom of Israel. And he replied, it is not for you to know this time or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we also find this from the book of John, the 14th chapter, once again, Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And then he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So we're um, talking about legacy and I gave you kind of a definition. So let's just start here last week. Uh, a legacy is a, a lasting impact um, on the world. It is a gift that is passed down from generation, maybe to generation, money, property, or even stories. It can also be a, a business or a profits from business set apart maybe a foundation or charity. Leaving a legacy means dreaming big, changing the world for the better. So last week, you know, one of the, um, one of the, actually one of those great existential questions it comes to your, when it comes to your legacy, it has a lot to do with anything that I'm doing, is it really making an impact? Is anything I do or say or give my thoughts, words, and deeds, is it really leaving an impact? Is it making a difference in other people's lives? I mean, after we've, it's all said and done, when our life is over, we want, hopefully, that we are leaving a legacy, something positive, and we've made our impression on, on earth and on other people and our relationships. So, you know, once we, I'd always, I've always kind of grappled with that, my own personal uh, journey in, in the ministry for over 30 years. And I'm thinking, Lord, there are times in which I wake up in the morning, Lord, am I in anything that I'm saying, anything I'm preaching on, anything I'm doing, is it really making a difference? So here, I want you to know something. Last week, or, you know, we talked about pastor's appreciation. And so I got all these wonderful cards. And as I want you to know, evidently, rumor has it, Evidently, I am actually making a difference, which is a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, there's a card here. It says, you are making a difference. So this is just wonderful. And I am so grateful, um, and, you know, uh, just the opportunity to be your pastor. And I feel so loved and so appreciated. Appreciated, And I had received all these beautiful cards. And then this one uh, in particular was meant a lot to me. Um, it's coming from a couple in our church and says, thank you, Harold, for your love of Christ and leading us into a closer relationship with him. And to me, that's the reason why I signed up to be a pastor. That's it right there. If I'm doing something to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ in a more deeper and profound way than any 
maybe I am making a difference. So let's go back and rewind in your own life. Think about the people have made a difference in your life. Like I remember my first Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Smith. I love Mrs. Smith. She had big blonde hair. It was like a beehive, you know, 1960s, 70s, early 70s. But she was just a beautiful person. She, she's the first person besides my mother and father taught me about Jesus. So she has a legacy in my life. It's part of the whole prevenient grace, God working through other people to help me grow in my relationship with him. I think about Mr. King and Gertrude, his wife. They just loved me. I, was, um, I think I was playing elementary school the first time my father took me over to their house. They had a, like a little, it was almost like a little farm in Orlando. They had orange trees on it, and he had carved out, like a, it was almost like a little bitty golf course. And he just, you know, he taught me, he taught me to love nature. Um, we would feed squirrels. We would catch pigeons. And then he would work with the, as the environmentalist, and he worked with the Florida Game Commission, and he would catch the pigeons, and he'd put bands on them so they could track them. And so he just taught me the love for nature. And even to this day, I love nature. I love being out in nature. I love being outside. And then I've been able to, part of my legacy is I've kind of, once again, shared that with my own children. And my children, they all love nature. They love hiking and just really appreciation, appreciation for God's creation. But that all goes back to Mr. and Mrs. King. And then I think about, like, I love history. And so I remember my first history teacher, his name was Scott Peeler, and um, he not only did he taught, he was a, a, a very good history teacher, but he was also a very good Spanish teacher. And so I had him for actually for both. And so the first time I met Mr. Peeler was in eighth grade. And so um, and he just, uh, I just want you to know, in eighth grade, I want you to, uh, I was a little quirky. Now, I know that might be hard for you to imagine, but it was a little quirky. And so um, my, my mom and dad bought me a yellow jacket, and I don't know why they bought me a yellow jacket, but that was like, was like a windbreaker. And I want you to know, I wore it to school every single day for 180 days straight. It didn't matter if it was 80 or 90 degrees out, I wore my yellow jacket. And so I was a, a brand new to the school, and everybody didn't, I didn't even know my name, and they just called me the boy in the yellow jacket. That was my name. And so, you know, people kind of, and some of them were kind of making fun of me, and Mr. Peeler took up for me and just loved me. But he also taught me to love history. And what's interesting, when I went to high school, he transferred from that particular middle school to a high school, and I happened to be at that particular high school, and he became my Spanish teacher. And so on the last day of school, when I graduated from Lake Gibson High School, I had kept my yellow jacket, I went and found him, and I gave him my yellow jacket so he'd remember me. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your legacy? Hmm. So um, this last week, we um, um, had met with the finance committee, and I was thinking about legacies and about, you know, how we give them our time and our talent and treasure, and a couple of great quotes. Um, the meaning of life is to find your gift, but the purpose of life is to give it away, Pablo Picasso. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we give, but how much we love we put into giving. So this last week I was at the finance committee and we, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, getting out of debt and we had a lot of great things. And so I gave them, actually, I, I found um, this magazine the other day and um, there was something in it and I thought it was very interesting. And, and the title of this particular article was an executive pastor magazine, the deeply personal reasons people give financially. And, and so um, I thought it was very interesting. Matter of fact, we actually have a chart. This is actually, and here's the, here's, this is the piece of paper, and this is the flow chart. It says reasons why adult United States, people live in the United States, why they give. And I thought it was really interesting. 
Um, the reason why people give, it says I give because of who I am. And then the other de definitions of why people give, I give because of the ministry, somebody asking me, I give because of why I'm asked, I, I give because of the person asking, I give because of how I'm asked. So, but you look at the percentages and they're all very low on those other four categories, but the number one reason why people give, it's something about who they are. It's a part of their DNA, it's a part of, basically they're calling it who they are. And so I thought it was interesting because the, the one on the left hand, 69%, those are um, all just in general people in America, but the 77% of Christians when it comes to giving has a deeper relationship to me, has a relationship with, your, with Jesus Christ. So the reason why people give, it all starts, and it makes crystal clear sense to me because it all starts with your relationship with Jesus because it all flows out of Jesus Christ. We start with Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, and I love this, this is kind of the baseline, where your treasure is, so where your heart be also. Let me say that again. So where your treasure is, so where your heart be also. This is the baseline what Jesus said when it comes to giving. And so when I, I was thinking about that and thinking about my own personal journey and about giving, you know, I, 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 my wife and I love to give, and we really love, we love giving to the church. So I had this when I was doing my finishing touches on this sermon on Thursday. I had, I was sitting down, I was highlighting, and I had my notes, and you all see my notes up here, and, and so I highlight things, and I doodle little things, and I make myself little notes, and so forth, and so immediately I started thinking about, and I, I don't know why, but this came to me, and I had this image of this, um, this uh, a bicycle tire. And so I, I want you to know, one of my friends, I called my friends up on Friday, I said, hey, do you have any, um, do you have any bikes down to bargains and blessings? And they go, oh yeah, we've got one. And he says, I'm looking right now. I said, can you take the front tire off? He says, what? He said, can you take the front tire off? He says, all right, I'll take the front tire. And he, so he brought it to me this um, on Friday. And so I, he, I just want you to know, I need to give it back because this is a hundred dollar bike. I want you to know that, but it will go back. I promise, I promise. And, and so I thought this is a really good analogy. And so this is why I think about my relationship with Jesus Christ and my giving. So when I think about, that everything flows out of beginning, the beginning point, why I give is because I love Jesus. And so I started thinking, okay, so Jesus is the very center of all the, of the, this whole tire system, right? So to me, when I think about it, it all starts at the very center. Jesus is at the very center. Let me say that again, Jesus is at the very center. He's the center of my heart, he's the center of my life, he's the reason why I give. Because this is who I am. Because I made a commitment when I was a little boy that I'm gonna love Jesus. So it all starts out of that. That's the baseline. Then, then there's, in the middle of the center, then there's like this little hub here. And to me, the representation of the hub is the church. So I, I give because I love Jesus, but I give because I love the church. And I've always loved the church. I've been going to church since I'm one week old. As I share with you all, my mother gave, me birth, gave birth to me on a Sunday. And I went the next week. I've been going ever since, right? And so I love the church and I really love the United Methodist Church. I, I I've always loved in the United Methodist Church. You know, my grandfather was a, was a United Methodist pastor. He was a circuit rider. My father is a United Methodist pastor, and he loved the church. And so my family has just fallen in love with the United Methodist Church. I love my church. I really love my church. Not only do I love the New Covenant, but I really love, I really love the United Methodist Church. So when I give, I give because I love Jesus. But when it comes to the hub, it's the church. And then when I think about the church and all the great things that they do, and by the way, 
You know, this last Thursday, um, we put together 10,000 meals for people. That's gonna impact people all over the world. And then someone gave, you know, 6,900 or 697 boxes, one person in our church, and gave, cut a check for $7,000 to mail those boxes. They're gonna go all over the world, right? But she's ultimately, she's given because, or we give them because we love Jesus, but we give and we give the money to the church. And then the beautiful thing about the church is it goes all over and it, all over the world once we give and, not only does it go all over the world when it comes to missions, but it has everything to do with, once again, having great worship. When you give your money to your church, it's about great worship. It's about discipleship. It's about caring for people. Matter of fact, one of the number one things when we did a statistic, we did a survey about, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, it says one of, the, one of the most important things that we found from the congregation is in my hour of need, I wanna make sure my church will be there. And that's important, right? That's why we have a care department, to care for you. So when I think about when, I, when it comes to giving, I give because I love Jesus. That's, that's the baseline. And then I, I give because I, I give it to the church because I believe the church does all these wonderful things. And here's the, way, here's the interesting thing. When it comes to this analogy or this illustration about the, the tire today, something's gotta move it, right? And to me, what moves all this, I just read it. I just read it. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to move us forward to do great things for the kingdom of God. So when I think about giving, I, I think about you know, the idea of, well, you know, I give because I love Jesus. I give because I love the church. I give because I know the church is making an impact. And once again, example after example after example. And I just shared with you all just a few minutes ago, didn't I? Here's the list. And that just all happened just like for the last week or so, right? So I want you to know when you, when you, when you decide you're gonna give to the church, it is making a difference. And I believe every dollar that you put in has something to do with your legacy because you honestly are impacting people's lives. And you may never even know it, but you are. I asked Charles Stewart, who's the, um, our finance chair this last week, I said, Charles, what's it take to be able to run a church? He says, well, I'll give you a dollar amount. You know, there's a, there's a price tag, that, and, and it's kind of gone up and down within about two or three dollars, but it costs about $29 per person per week to be able to keep it all going. Everything that we're doing here, about $29. So then I ran, because I'm a number guy, I ran, okay, well, is that, it's like $1,500 a year, or here's, let's just break it down this way, or you know what it, you know, you're, when it comes to church, about giving, what that, does that mean? It's about $1, $2, $3, it's $4 a day. That's it. That's what it takes to run a church. But I can also reassure you, and let me tell you something. As your senior pastor, I watch the finances. I watch it every week. And I, I'm, I wanna be aware of where we are financially. If there's a problem, then I wanna be aware of it. If we're doing great, I wanna be aware of it. I go to every single finance committee because I think it's part of my job to make sure as being your senior pastor, I'm very aware of how we're doing financially. So, and I can reassure you, I can reassure you because I, I go to every meeting. Every single one of these dollars is very closely watched. Because when we, when we give our money, we wanna make sure that, well, once again, we are doing our very best to really live into the vision to be the hands and the feet, the voice of Jesus Christ. 
I thought this was really interesting. I read some interesting statistics on uh, about giving and about money this last week, and I I thought this is very um, powerful. Is that um, actually seventy three percent of all couples in America cite finances as a source of tension in their marriage? According to Dave Ramsey, who's a financial uh, Christian uh, financial giving person, he says, literally, um, the second leading causes of divorces has to do with finances. 66% of the American population struggles with spending, saving, and borrowing money. I thought this is really interesting, is that there, uh, when it comes to retirement, only 70%, or actually, only 30% of Americans have a long-term plan for retirement. I mean, 70% don't. I thought this is really interesting, is that um, uh, called millennials. Matter of fact, I got a millennial little graph up here. Millennials are people who are born between 1982 and 2002. And matter of fact, all five of my kids are millennials, by the way. Here's the interesting thing. 25% of the American population are millennials. 75% of of the millennials have absolutely no clue about budgeting and saving money. Welcome to my world with my five kids, right? One of my kids called me up this week and says, Dad, and, uh, and listen, and, and this is the reality. This is the reality. We need to understand because I tell you what, there are a lot of people struggling right now, and I totally get that. And so um, one of my kids called me and says, Dad, I'm going to have to go get a second job. I said, are you now? He says, yeah, I'm going to go get a second job because I'm, I'm just barely making ends meet, but I'm going to go get a second job. So I was really proud of him to actually tell me that, and he actually went and got, got a second job, and he didn't hit me up for more cash, which is even better, right? Of course, I would help him if he asked, but he didn't ask. He says, I'm going to go get a second job. Wow. So what's interesting about when it comes to giving is that, um, and I think this is a really important point when it comes, and I think Jesus hit it on the head here. He says, you know, where your treasure is, so will your heart be also. I mean, what, when, it comes to, when it comes to your money, it has a whole lot to do with really what matters to you, what you give your money to. So, um, so you know, when it comes to my checkbook, you can kind of look about what's most important to you. Everybody can do that, right? And some people right now are just, I mean, surviving uh, paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I, I understand that. And, um, but I also understand the idea about, you know, when it comes to my life and how I structure and how we, we you know, how we, Donna and I, Donna takes care of our, our finances, but how we give our money. And so I actually, I got a little priority um, flow chart here. Can you put that up? And so here's the interesting thing about priorities. And so when it comes to priorities, I put family as my most important priority. And then I think about others and then I think about me. And then here's the other bar of that. And a lot of people who are um, maybe a little bit more self-centered, it's more about them and then maybe family and then maybe others. So um, I, I, I think a really classic illustration, this little chart up here about family, others, and me. So, you know, um, the other day I was fishing with one of my friends. His name is Sean Rush, and he's, um, um, he is a, a guide, and so I've gone with him dozens of times with him, and I've got a couple of guys in our church who take me fishing. I'm honored to be able to go with him, and it's a lot of fun. And so, um, so I was having this conversation with him about two weeks ago. Matter of fact, I got a picture of Sean Rush. There he is. Man, that is one big fish, isn't it? Man, that is a monster. That thing is one of the largest fish I think ever caught in the state of Florida. It's actually about, that one's about 15 pounds. And so, um, and so we were having this conversation and, and, and uh, he was talking about, so normally this time of year, there aren't many dates available because everybody, well, you can see him. Matter of fact, I call Sean Rush 
the bass whisperer. Because he knows where they're at. And, um, and so he says, you know, actually, Harold, I've got some dates open. I said, why do you have dates open this time of year? Because usually, you know, he books out a year in advance. He says, well, I had a guy who called me up the other day. He's a rich dude. He called him the rich dude. He says, the rich dude called me up. He, said, he had a book 11 days with him. He canceled them all. Canceled them all. I said, oh, he says, well, you know, um, you know I'm going to try to fill those slots because it's his livelihood, right? He has to work every day. And so the guy, the rich dude, just kind of blew him off. And so, um, so evidently the rich dude um, did, he, I think he had words with him. He says, listen, you need to make good on this because I've, made our, I've already you know, blocked all these days. And he says, I'll send you a check. So evidently the rich dude sent him a check, but he only read a part of the check. He didn't give him all the money. So Sean called the rich dude back up and he says, hey man, you know, I, I, you, you're, you're short on this. He says, listen, I want you to understand, it's not just my family. But I want you to know there's two or three other families that are depending on that money. And um, because, you know, not only is he the guy, but there are, well, there's two other families that provide the shiners, the bait, and the bait is about a third of the whole product, right? So you got to, you pay the guy, but then you have to pay for the bait. So there's two other families that are depending on that money that you completely blew off and that you're not going to give me the money for that. And this is what the guy said, quote, unquote, he says, why should I care about them? What's that to me? Okay, so can you put that chart back up? Can you put that chart? Okay, so do you see the difference between like having a priority about making sure that I take care of family, make sure I take care of others, and then taking maybe I'm like third on the list, or is it really about me and maybe about families or there's this third on the list. Why should I care about them? What's that to me? Hmm. Now, listen, let me tell you something. Um, that caused a lot of heartburn with Sean. Matter of fact, he, I think he just thought, you know what, here's the deal. You'll never fish with me again. I'm not going to do it again because then I'm going to get burned again. And so the heartburn was that I think it really burned Sean, burned Sean because it, he saw the arrogance and because he wasn't going to take care of the other people that were involved in his life and his, and his way to make a living because the other people are trying to make a living. What's it to me, right? Why should I care about them? But it's also, and I thought about the word heartburn, I think there's a sense of heartburn when it comes to greed. I think there's heartburn when it comes to selfishness. I think sometimes people's hearts burn with a sense of arrogance and disregard for other people. And we call this narcissistic, right? I mean, there's a word that describes that. I would call it narcissistic. It's a great word. It's all about, it's about, it's all about him, right? And, and so when I think about, once again, the, uh, I, sh I don't remember I shared this story with you last week. Um, I think I shared it on Sunday. I didn't miss share it on a Sunday morning. But once upon a time, I was talking to my friend, Ken Routon. And Ken was the senior pastor at Boca Raton, Florida, and First United Methodist. And so Boca is a very, it's a high-end place to live. It's an expensive place to live. A lot of very wealthy people live in Boca, down in South Florida. And so um, he said one day he was sitting, I think maybe at a, a Starbucks. And so the lady came in and she was just dripping in gold. She pulled up in a really fancy sports car. She had beautiful clothes on. And her T-shirt said, all I want is everything. All I want is everything. 
And so there's a word of caution Jesus throws at us. It says, you know, Jesus knew the lust for everything without boundaries or limitations. And I love this. I read this last week. It's like Wiley E. Coyote running towards the cliff. And matter of fact, I got a picture of Wiley E. Coyote. So there he's Wiley E. Coyote running off the edge of the cliff. And so, you know, let me tell you something. What happens when you go through life and you have a lust for everything with absolutely no boundaries? Can you show this next picture? That's what happens to you, Right? So Jesus has this word of caution. He says, hey, listen, protect yourself against uh, these, the least little bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. I shared with all last week that text in the Gospel of Luke about the, the rich farmer, the rich young farmer who had, you know, had plenty of money, had life, life was large. And so he says, listen, I've got barns, but I'm going to tear down perfectly good barns and I'm going to build bigger ones, you know. And then Jesus said he was actually very foolish because, you know, when it came to the county of his life, he had really nothing to show but brand new big barns. Once again, where your heart is, so will be your treasure. And when I went back and read that text this last week, I thought it was interesting. I think it's only three or four verses, and in three or four verses, that whole story, the word I is used six times in that story. So when I think about that, I, I think that it's very important. I, I think that every time, you know, once again, we can get caught up and where are we in the midst of our lives about when it comes to the idea of giving. I thought about that movie called Wall Street. Michael Douglas played a guy um, by the name of Gordon Gecko. Or Gecko, yeah. And, and, and so here's the great quote. He said, greed is good. You might remember that, right? Greed is good. And it's the question, or is it? So you compare that mentality of Gordon in that movie, greed is good. And then you got Mother Teresa who says, a life not lived for others is not a life. So you have the two different p- comparisons, right? So what I, I love about um, this, this imagery, so the idea of, you know, you can be focused so much on yourself. I love what Martin Luther called this. Martin Luther, the 16th century Martin Luther, he had a diagnosis of the rich farmer and greed is good. He called it homo incurvatus in say, a man curved in on himself. Our nature, this is Martin Luther, our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it, it, that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself, but it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God for its own sake. All I want is everything. Mm. Jesus had a completely different take on that. Jesus says, hey, why don't you look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, if we get our lives in line with God's priorities, we will have everything that we possibly really need. I started asking myself this week, what caused Jesus' heartburn? That's a great question, isn't it? You know what I think that caused Jesus a lot of heartburn? is when, you know, like I, that I talked about the widow's might, right? And so there's two parts of that whole story about the widow's might. When, when she came in, there's the thought that, that she gave everything. And Jesus used her example and said, hey, listen, that's amazing what that woman's doing. This is amazing because she brought in the least offering. What does 50 cents really sound like, right? What's it really worth? And so there's that part that she gave everything, but there's the other part of that as the different twist to that was, he was really, I think Jesus is really miffed at the way that the Pharisees and the tax collectors were actually taken exploiting the widows. 
As I mentioned last week, the Luke was always big about making sure of taking care of the widows. So I think this story has a whole lot to do with both ends, how this woman gave extravagantly out of everything that she had. And then there's the other part that the, the Pharisees were taking exploiting the widows. No wonder when Jesus on Monday, when he rides in on Sunday, but on Monday he goes and cleans house, doesn't he? Turns over the money changers. I, I think that gave Jesus a lot of heartburn. Here's another thing. I think that Jesus gave, one of the idea of what gave Jesus a lot of heartburn is what Jesus is in the Last Supper on Thursday night, right? And so um, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. I wanna be number one. And what does Jesus do? He says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And what does he do? He, he washes their feet and shows them what really number one is really like. He says, it's really not about being number one, it's about being a servant. It's about caring for others. It's really not about you. You get it? So I think that, I think that gave Jesus some heartburn. And then you get to this, this great text I just read to me a few minutes ago and the idea that Jesus says, I want you to go be my witnesses. I want it to be my witnesses. The idea of, once again, my love for Jesus, it all starts and then we give and we share. And, we, and by the way, Jesus did tell Peter that he was gonna build a rock, he was gonna be the rock and he was gonna build his church upon him. We have a church. And so then we give, we give because we love Jesus and we God. We, Jesus has given us this wonderful thing called the church and then we, and this idea to be my witnesses and what we continue to do, be a witness. What does a witness really mean according to Jesus? A witness means ultimately you're completely sold out that he is the truth. I'm the way and the truth of life. You really believe that. Be a witness has everything to do with my thoughts and my words and the deeds. To be a witness of my love of Jesus Christ that comes pouring out of me and the witness literally means what is very interesting about the idea about being a Christian witness the word witness in the Greek literally means to be a martyr. It means some sacrifices. We make sacrifices along the way. God has a conversation with Father Abraham one day. He says, listen, I want you to know I'm gonna bless you. I want you to be a, I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be blessed to be a blessing. Can I ask you, does anybody feel blessed in this room? Aren't we, aren't we completely blessed? And so when it comes to the blessing, we prioritize our life. Okay, so we got our family, we got others, we're gonna take care of other people or church, and then maybe on number three on the list, right? Be blessed in order to be a blessing. Now let me tell you something. You don't have to be perfect to be a blessing, right? I mean, we are all imperfect people. Matter of fact, I, I love this story. This came to me. I read this this last week. You know, God can even use imperfect people. So Pastor Schmidt answers the phone. Hello, is this Reverend Schmidt? It is. This is the IRS. Can you help us? And he says, I can. Do you know David Anderson? He says, I do. Is he a member of your congregation? He is. Did he donate $10,000 to your church? He thought and paused for a second. Hmm. I can promise you after this conversation, he will. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? So, God can use even imperfect people, right? And blessed to be a blessing, to be a witness. And so I'll close with this thought. So you know the word shalom, I, I love the word shalom. And, and so the word shalom has to do with p 
peace. So when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, he's literally saying shalom. And the idea of peace is he goes back to the ancient prophets and there's a way that God originally had a dream for the world. And it had to do with, it had to do with the way that we lived our lives, full of love and grace. It had to do with relationships. It had to do with being giving people. So we have that whole thing going on. And then there's the way that peace, that shalom, that the way that God wants it to be, and then we live with the pain and reality of the way life really is. And so once again, Jesus, when he came, he says, and he gave us this prayer that we just prayed just a few minutes ago, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when it came to the idea that Jesus is always trying to move the needle, needle towards what is perfect and right and holy and, and heaven is to be brought down here, and this is the way we're supposed to live our lives. And that's the reason why Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's the shalom, the living the, our lives the way that Christ really wants us to live our lives. So that we deal with this reality, this, this tension between the kingdom of God here on earth and the way the kingdom really is intended to be and the way that it really is. Yeah. So I close with this thought. I read this this last week. I thought it was really interesting. And I, I quoted just a few minutes ago, Mother Teresa. So I don't know if you ever noticed this, but you know, um, um, one time, once upon a time, a, a missionary had gone to visit Mother Teresa and he was doing some work with her and he noticed her feet. Matter of fact, we got a picture of Mother Teresa's feet. So this is what Mother Teresa's feet look like. And so he, he asked one of the persons who worked with Mother Teresa, why are her feet so deformed? And so... She said, well, this is what happens. So people make donations to the charity and then she goes through all the shoes and she pulls out the best shoes for everybody else and then she takes the worst pair and she uses them for herself. And so this is a picture of Mother Teresa's feet with the worst shoes. It's a statement, isn't it? About how she lived her life about how she tried to move the needle towards being selfless and not selfish. She's the, one of those people who never said, you know, why should I care about them? So may I ask you something? What's gonna be your legacy? And her legacy is everything to do with our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our actions, our giving. Thanks be to God.